Um, I think for me, you know, I definitely want to coach my kids in their character. And that's about actually making a difference in other people's lives and not living life for yourself. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. So, Dan, welcome to the to the podcast. We got introduced by uh, by Andrew Spore, who I met probably two years ago. I uh, was doing some filming with him, and um, we sort of got introduced through through Andrew. So, it's great to have you on the podcast and I think most people have probably seen you swimming before you've um, been featured in probably the most popular video that we've had in the last couple of years which was you swimming one minute ten a uh, one minute ten hundred in what looks like two minute pace just uh, a really <laughs> amazing uh, amazing swim so mate welcome to the podcast yeah thanks for having us Brenton like it's um, super exciting to be on here and you know, if there's anything I can ever do to add value to people's lives from my own life's, life experiences, then, you know, I'll always jump at the opportunity. I love what your business is about and your heart motive behind what you do. And, you know, if there's, if I'm here, if there's anything I can ever do to add value to you or other people's lives, you know, that's, that's what I believe I'm here for on this planet. So, like I said, I'm super excited to be here and um, I look forward to, you know, sharing a bit about my life to um, other people out there. Well, I think you've got one of the most incredible stories that I've come across in the, the swimming world and your background as a young swimmer, you were touted as the next Ian Thorpe, basically. Eight national, eight gold medals at the National Age Championships, which is, I think, equivalent to what Thorpe had done and um, just amazing swimmer from a, a very young age and, uh, and then over the course of the next few years, um, had gone through through drug addiction and then uh, got yourself clean and now you're at the point where you're looking to, to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics and uh, just a, an incredible story. And so in terms of where should we start, I think you know, what was swimming like for you as a, as a youngster and how did you get to such a high level at such an early age? Yeah, I think for me, you know, my, I grew up in a um, pretty functional family. I had a mum and a dad and a younger sister and my dad was um, always grew up with boats, so he had a marine dealership. And when I was about five years old, I my parents couldn't keep me out of the water, so they wanted me to get swimming lessons. And before I knew it, I just naturally found my feel for the water, and um, I had such a natural gift and talent for the water. And I naturally progressed really quickly. Like before I knew it, I was starting to win gold medals at a young age. And um, for me, um, at about the age of grade. Um, 10 years old um, was obviously the year of school nationals. And my dad was kind of probably like most parents out there, he was probably living his own life out through mine. And I was pushed probably a little bit too hard, too young. And before I knew it, I was um, at the national championships when I was 10 years old and I worked extremely hard to get there. Um, I was probably doing eight sessions a week at 10 years old and doing gym and having creatine and protein shakes at that age. And, um, I was fortunate enough to win a bronze medal at 10 years old and that's where my swimming career really started to kick off. Um, before I knew it, when I was about 13 years old, I moved into Grant, um, into Dennis Cottrell's squad when I was um, swimming with, I was lucky enough to be able to swim with Grant Hackett and see what it actually took to be one of the best swimmers in the world. And um, fortunately for me, I was able to, um, at the national titles when I was 13 years old, I won six gold and two silver. And I also broke um, Ian Thorpe's Australian 200-meter freestyle record. Um, so you can imagine what life was like for me at a young age. Um, the following year, I 
I won eight gold and two silver at the national titles. And um, still to today, that's one of the most gold medals won in history. But for me, I was probably really burnt out in the sport at the age of 14 years old. And um, I probably didn't realize that, um, you know, what I was actually experiencing at that age, all the success and accolades that I was experiencing, it, it wasn't actually giving me any fulfillment and satisfaction. It was actually just leaving me empty and pretty broken on the inside, and that's where I probably started to get involved in binge drinking at the age of 13 years old. I was, and that's in grade eight, I started binge drinking and, and partying pretty heavy um, whilst also um, pursuing my swimming career. Is that where you found your fulfillment at that age? Was it through the through the f- friends or going out and partying and, and having the enjoyment that way? Is that where you found it or was was that not in your life at that time? Um, I think it was probably more of an escape for me. Like um, at the age of five years old, um, you've already formed about 80% of your belief system. So that's the way you see the world, the, your worldview the way you process things and your own feelings and emotions. And then by the age of 18, you've, you've already fulfilled the last 20%. So me being the age of 13, 14, I'm starting to process things and probably I wasn't coached real well through my own feelings and emotions and, you know, what actually matters in life. And I started to probably get really empty and lost and broken. And I think for me, binge drunk, binge drinking, partying, girls, that kind of thing was just an escape for me. Mm. And uh, is there something that you've learnt over the over that time, where if or when you have kids, what would be the the lesson that you'd take from your life and want to pass on to your kids? Um, I think for me, you know, I definitely want to coach my kids in their character, and that's about actually making a difference in other people's lives and not living life for yourself. Um, for me. Then um, I was probably very self-centered and I was all about receiving accolades and I think I was probably trying to win my parents' love through achievement, which is a pretty unfulfilling way to live. Um, They say if love has to be earned, um, like medals can be earned, but if love has to be earned, it's not love. And I think for me, I was trying to win my parents love through and the people around me through achievement because I was a very rebellious kid on the other side as well. And I guess for me, what I was doing, I guess I was probably running my life on an oily rag and I started to, you know, really become unfulfilled and unsatisfied. And swimming was probably the only thing I had because I gave so much to it from a young age. I missed out on a lot of other things. Um, My school life suffered a lot because I was so, driven in the swimming world um and yeah like i said at probably the age of 14 i started to become burnt out and i probably stopped giving it as much as what i could and probably relied purely on talent and not actually on um you know taking my training to another level and talent probably got me through the next four years of my swimming career but i never was actually able to achieve my full potential Mm. and so do you do you feel like the the amount of sessions that you're doing at a young age is primarily what led to the burnout, or was it the 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 need to get that uh, recognition through your swimming achievements that added to the pressure of it? Yeah, I think it was a mixture of both. Like um, I was, like I said, I was pushed really young, um, pushed too far, 
when I was really young, I probably would have liked to progress where I was at about 12, 13 years old at about 15, which would have given me a little bit more time to prepare for the pressure and have a bit more character and actually understand the reason why I swim. Um, but like I said, I was, I was burnt out at that age and I probably didn't realize that swimming, you know, you can, you can be one of the best swimmers in the world and, like, I don't know, swimming didn't redeem my life. It didn't take my problems away, if that makes sense. I still had the same internal issues that I had. And um, for me, no matter what I did or tried, um, you know, I was always left um, feeling unfulfilled. Mm. And we'll come back to sort of what that, uh, that binge drinking and everything eventually led to. But in terms of your, your character development over the last, say, six, seven years, where's that where's that come come from who have you learned it from and and what are some of those things that you feel like has made you a, a different person now uh, my faith has obviously played a massive role in my life now um, you know I'm a bible believing christian and I actually get most of my character and moral values out of out of the bible but I also have great people in my life who love and care about me for my for who I am not what I do and that's actually helped me to become a better person um I think too often, you know, our past mistakes and, you know, stuff that we've experienced defines our future. And for me, I've had to learn that I'm not defined by what I used to be or what I should be. I'm actually defined by the person I'm becoming. So that's actually helped me focus more on me as a person and help allow the pressure of sport and me not achieving what I want to achieve actually produce something in me that is far greater than probably what a result will ever give me. Mm. And how did it, how's it been over the last six or seven years? Has it been a, do you feel like you're on this steady growth of, of developing your character and do you feel like it's become a lot clearer about where you want to go, what kind of person you want to be, or was there a moment where it just all sort of changed for you? I think um, I went, I was fortunate enough to go to the 2016 Rio Olympics and I guess even um, after experiencing the stuff that I've experienced. So that was when I came out of rehab, and we can talk about that in a moment. Um, you know, I probably came back out of rehab and there was still um, me wrapping my identity up in swimming. And so I guess for me, I was probably achieving, um, I achieved results really quickly um, when I got out of rehab and I'd had five year, four and a half years out of the water. And um, I guess for me, the results, like I said, never took away my own personal issues. And swimming probably came more of a driver for me than my own personal well-being. And I actually went to the Olympic Games, you know, with the hope of winning uh, an Olympic medal. Like I was in the 4 by 200 metre freestyle relay. And, um, you know, for me, going to the Olympic Games, um, all the other boys, I've only just started talking about this because it actually took me a long time to recover from the Olympics, um, but all the other boys in the relay team, they swam out of their skin in the final. They swam really well times, really good times, and I was um, unfortunately um, two seconds off my best time or what I was projected to swim in that relay team, and we were only we got fourth place and we were only one second off the silver. And for me, my I felt like my whole world had fallen apart. Um, so that's, to be honest, um, I felt like the biggest failure ever. And when I got interviewed by the media on national or worldwide TV, they interviewed the other boys. And when they got to me, they asked me what happened. 
And I guess for me, I just felt pretty embarrassed and ashamed. And um, for me, I've had to really work a lot on my identity. Um, a lot changed for me in high-performance sport after that. I probably started to get treated differently um, in the high-performance world. And for me, I've had to spend a lot of time rebuilding my identity so I can hopefully be what well, I am in a lot healthier place going into the Olympics this year. Yeah, and how long did it – is it only now where you feel like you've been able to – to look back at it and and not sort of wrap yourself up in in those emotions of, of, of as you said sort of shame and, and all of that was it because that I imagine that'd be a pretty long process and a really hard thing to 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 deal with especially when you know you let yourself down in an individual swim uh, that's one thing and then a relay you know, as you know especially with swimming relays it's uh, you really feel the pressure from from everyone else and you probably felt that from the whole swimming swimming community. Yeah, I think for me, um, after that, I probably tried to bury those feelings um, more um, and become more driven in the sport. So when I came back from Olympics, I was so afraid of that happening again that I just went back and um, trained even harder, to be honest. Mm. And that that's like you're running on an oily rag, you know, like I'm swimming out of a pretty unhealthy place. And then um, before I knew it, I started to actually, my swimming started to go more downhill um, because I, I guess I was running away from what was actually going on. And um, before I knew it, I was um, so far from where I wanted to be. I probably actually had to take a hard look at myself and really start to admit the way that I was feeling. And that took a, probably a lot of um, good people in my life um, that I was able to be transparent with and open with. And um, before I knew it, I guess I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel and my swimming's probably taken a turn in the last six months and I've really started to, you know, swim out of a lot healthier place and not have so much expectation and pressure on me and actually come back to the reason why I swim. Like I love the sport. Um, I love what it's produced in me. I love what it's given me. It's um, And I also love that, um, you know, through influence and, you know, being able to be successful in the sport, that you're able to actually make a difference in other people's lives. So, you know, I feel like in the last six months, my perspective of the sport and in the sport has changed a lot. Yeah, and it's, it's really good to hear that. And, you know, we've spoken a bit over the last few months since we, we first met. And uh, one of the things you mentioned was your coach, uh, Paul. I think, I don't know if he came up to you at a swim meet and basically it sounds like he took you under his wing and said, look, this is what I think think you you might need to do to get to where you want to go and over the course of maybe 12 months or so you guys have been working together and it seems like that's a really good coach athlete relationship that you've got going there yeah it definitely has he um actually coached me when i was in rehab so it's been a bit of a happy ending he's probably coached me towards the end of my career which is cool um and he's been a great coach. He's always coached younger swimmers. In, he, he used to be in Harvey Bay, so he's always coached younger swimmers and helped them get good. And then if they do get good, then they move to Brisbane because that's how, you know, the culture rolls. So he was very good at not having his own ego or um, the way he is wrapped up in performance. So he actually allowed me to not race for a period of time whilst him and I spent a lot of time rebuilding my identity and allowing me to just be uncomfortable for a little bit and um, not not race. Um, and that that process, he um, has helped me with my technique and my the way that I swim and my approach to swimming. And, you know, him and I are both pretty excited for hopefully what this year can, can possibly bring. 
Yeah, it's one of the funny things that, that you said to me when uh, maybe the first time that we met was uh, <clears throat> you're talking about a few years ago, you said you said you had no catch. And I think it's all it's all relative. Like you look at um, look at you swimming, and you've got an amazing stroke. And uh, but when you started to rebuild your stroke, and I get, I think you really became as a student of technique. You you're looking at some of the things that you could work on, and you felt like your your catch and what was happening out in front of you was something that you could could really work on. Can you talk a bit about what it was that you that you saw in your stroke, and what sort of Paul helped you? Uh, change and, and look at and, and how you've you've gone about changing your stroke now and having that as a, a big focus of getting to you know, hopefully getting to to where you want to get to over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think like I probably always under underestimated the power of technique. Um, I came from a really high aerobic based program with Dennis Cottrell, and I moved to another program um, which is another high performance program. Um, this was before I moved to Paul and. He has more of a different approach, which is more of a quality-based program and more slow swimming. And I remember Paul said to me once, my coach, now, if you can't swim slow, you can't swim fast. And when I moved to this, the coach that I was with before, um, Paul, in between Dennis, um, he, I guess he was probably more of a um, trainer kind of coach, and I was never really sure on how to swim slow. So I guess I started swimming slow with really bad technique. And... Um, like I could still hold decent times in training, but I guess when I go to race day, my stroke would never feel like it used to. And I think because I had such a high aerobic-based program swimming with Dennis, that it always forced me into rhythm, which would force you out of bad habits. And so I developed over the space of two years some really um, bad habits. And then when Paul, um, obviously I wasn't getting the results I wanted, Paul started to give me a little bit of technique work and I started to drop a bit of time I went from about a 148 down to a 147.4 in the 200 freestyle, and um, which was cool. And then I obviously moved over to Paul, and he started to teach me more about technique. And when I swam the 147.4, <laughs> he, he gave me a 3 out of 10 for my skill level. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of a little bit eye-opening, and he started to teach me technique. And in that process, we've had a few other coaches come along and help us. Um, and then we had so we had you come along and help us, and you had a dip, we had fresh eyes um, on my technique, and um, we've literally had to start again. I remember I was swimming um, okay at the start of last year, um, in, and I went to New South Wales States, and I knew that my stroke wasn't right, and um, then I moved into a quality based um, program, and I was working way too hard for the times that I was pushing. And then Paul and I, that was just before World Champs. And it was it was honestly like I probably wasn't um, handling the pressure of trying to get a stroke change really well. And I was coming out a little bit sideways in training. And Paul goes, well, let's just pull out. Let's just stop. And that was hard for me because I was always been so result-driven, um, as we were talking about before. And that's when I guess I started to probably deal more with my identity stuff. And then that – uh, allowed me to um, work more on my technique and start again from scratch. We literally went from like being pretty fit, um, probably like being pretty fit to doing skull. <laughs> and, and that's where we started. You know, I literally started doing skull at the start of last year um, and I had to re fully rebuild my stroke. And it was honestly the most frustrating process 
I've probably ever felt. I'm sure you get that a lot from your, you know, your viewers and the people that get coached by you and the people on YouTube as well. Like it was honestly the most frustrating process, but I was just so thankful that I had a coach that could coach me through that frustration and we came out the other side and I'm starting to swim a bit nicer now, which is pretty nice. <laughs> well, it's, it's good looking at, like you showed me some of those videos from maybe a year or two ago uh, when you're swimming to what you look like now. And it's like, it, it's a really noticeable difference. And I want to talk about, it'd be good to go into a bit more detail about that, that frustration that you felt because I mean, we work with mostly uh, triathletes and, and open water swimmers, adults who uh, might be around the two minute mark. Some are a bit slower, a bit faster, but that's generally where you know, the, the average sort of swimmer is. And I've often had people say to me, they feel like they're you know, pretty close to, to their limit of what they can get to with their swim speed. And I think you're a great example of that where you know, if you're swimming 147, and you're at the the very top top end of of athletes like and you're and you can find improvements in your stroke and you know you can get faster than someone who's swimming two minutes there is so much more opportunity to to get quicker but get going through that frustration of changing your stroke and it having it not feel good and having to put up with a, a few weeks or a, or a few months of maybe slower swimming is a, it's a hard thing to do and I, I completely understand that and so for someone at, at your level to feel like you're going back to square one what how long was that process for you until it actually started to feel better and those habits started to to stick and can you talk about like the, the timeline there because i think it'd be interesting to to hear that for for someone who swum at such a high level for for so long what was it like for you yeah i think like for me um obviously i've trained with a lot of um high level swimmers and probably one of the most technically sound swimmers i've ever seen was emma mckeon and I guess like most swimmers know her and she was actually helping me a lot with my technique at one stage. And she is probably one of the most technically sound swimmers I've ever seen. And I remember she was telling me some of the cues. It's pretty funny. I was only thinking about this the other day. She was telling me some of the cues that she uses to swim. And so then I would go back to training and try the cues because I wasn't training with her. I'd go back to training and try some of the cues that she was telling me. And I probably wasn't at that stage of my swimming yet, which I probably feel like. And then I'd go on YouTube and watch Alex Popoff swim, which is another really technically sound swimmer. And then I'd try to swim the way that they, they would swim. And so I guess I probably wasn't up to that stage yet of my swimming. So I guess that's a bit of a detriment for me. That probably made my process more frustrating because I was probably trying to do what they were doing. So if I look back on it now, um, I probably should have just stuck to the process I was at. So probably process um, at the start was just swimming a lot with a snorkel and not being able to breathe because breathing stuffs most swimmers up. Um, and so I had to start from like doing skull with the breathing. I did so much swimming with a snorkel that I actually forgot to breathe <laughs> when I was breathing, which was another part of learning how to swim as well. Um, is learning to breathe and adding breathing into the stroke. So we did a lot of drill work. Um, most of our warm-ups, even still to today, consist of a lot of drill work, which is a lot of single arm work um, with the snorkel, um, a lot of catch position kick and um, building a lot, of, lot more strength into my core. And I guess I, I'm starting to probably be able to apply the, the cues that, say, Emma was using now 
to my swimming because I've built a lot of foundation in my swimming. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like you were. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was probably too premature and... to be to probably be aiming to their level, if that makes sense. So yeah. I, if I look back on it now, I, I should have just probably stayed. Like this one day, I came to training, <laughs> and I was trying to swim like pop off, and Paul's like, my coach is like, what the, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Um, and he's like, just stop doing that. Like, he, I'm pretty sure he made me get out and stop doing that oh, because man, I was so like, funny. yeah, it was funny. <laughs> I, rem- I remember that pop-off DVD because I think my dad bought it when or whenever it came out. I was probably 12 or 13 at the time and I did exactly the same thing. I I watched that video and thought, all right, that's how I've got to swim. And I, I did a 25 sprint and I think I got like an 11.8 or 11.9, which was the best I ever did. And I was never able to replicate that. And <laughs> and that pop-off stroke was just, that's not the style that I should swim with. And like your stroke's more of that loping freestyle. It's much more like a, a Phelps sort of stroke. And yeah. that pop-off stroke is much more even, much more balanced. And so it's a, it's a very different stroke as well. So um, I would have loved to have uh, been a fly on the wall watching Paul <laughs> <laughs> watch you swim. With that it was stroke. pretty funny. Yeah, it's and but so now like now like I've now I can hone in more on my stroke. So we're building a lot more power through the back end of my stroke, which gives you more time at the front end of the stroke to catch the water. But if I was probably trying to do that side of the stroke too premature, and um, I guess that probably made my process um, delayed. And um, I remember I watched this video once on a backwards bicycle and it was a grown man trying to ride a backwards yeah. bicycle. So if you turn left, the wheel <laughs> goes right. And it took him like over six to nine months to learn to ride this bicycle. And he said to his son that was like, say, he was about 10 years old. He said, I'll take you to Australia. He was American. I'll take you to Australia if you um, can ride this bike. And the kid learned it in like two weeks. <laughs> so like... Yeah, I think like the older you are and probably the more you've swum, like you've got to just be a little bit more patient in unlearning bad habits so you can relearn new habits, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's very true. And what what are some of those cues that, that Emma gave you? I'm curious as to what she said they were because I find cues can be some of the best things to to change a stroke because with the right cue, it just it keeps it really simple. It gives you a good mantra to repeat in your head and with the right cue like you can just you know really um focus on the the big rocks those things that will make the biggest difference yeah she used to um like she's got more of a sprint timing stroke which is a bit more like pop off and so she has a lot more flat hip so she would feel like she's connecting her right hip to her left arm um but also like she would actually feel like if you were to stand up and rotate your shoulders with your hips like she would feel that feeling in the water like the opposite hip opposite shoulder to opposite hip like that actual timing in the water Mm. and she would also feel like that she is not putting much water on her face um when her head's down um which would obviously reduce drag on your head position as well and that's what that's what worked for her and what about you have you got any cues that that you use for your type of stroke uh, mine is more at the moment probably building power through the back end of my stroke. So that's actually feeling like I'm actually propelling forward through the back end of my stroke. And obviously, the more you can relax the recovery, 
um, especially because I got more of a lobe stroke. So I've got to relax my right arm recovery more. It actually gives you um, more time to set up in the front of the stroke, which is the catch. Mm. So that's probably my, my cues at the moment. And when uh, I know maybe whatever it was six months ago or so, uh, one of the things that you did work on changing was your, was your entry, getting that the hand to enter earlier because it was overreaching above the water. And then the other one was with your left arm. That was coming out quite wide through the, the catch phase. And both of those things, when I, when I think I came and filmed you maybe a month ago, um, like, like look, they look really, really good and, and, and really solid changes. And like I was, I, was really, I was really surprised at how much you were able to change in those couple of months from when we did the first to the, the second filming. And I think it's a real testament to how much focus you've put on it and like it just looked it just looked really really good and i know there's still you know, there's little changes that you're still making there but it, it just looks so much better and like for you what like how much of your your training are you thinking about your technique is it constant are you always thinking about it or is there times when you do just you just sort of let the let that go and you're focused on the pacing and and the feeling of just getting the rating up um, it's probably like I still focus on it a lot, especially in the warm-up. But I think the biggest thing for me was accepting that I had to go backwards to go forwards and also getting rid of the clock. Mm. So I trusted that by building technique, building the good foundational um, of technique and obviously getting my reasoning behind why I'm swimming healthier, that the time would come. And that's honestly what's happened now. So in my training, I'm swimming a lot faster than what I used to and it's a lot smoother than what I used to and that's because the clock doesn't control me anymore. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. So time. I've had to literally not worry about the clock. Like some days you might get in and do a pace 50 and you swim 25.5 but then another day you might get in and go 24.8 or something. But it's the same, the same effort, and that used to really rattle me, um, you know, before. Where now I'm learnt to just be like, no, as long as I'm focusing on technique and building technique and um, getting the good feel for the water, that the time on race day and the time in training will look after itself. So that's probably helped me a lot with my swimming now. Does that, if that makes sense? Yeah, one of the things that I used to. I used to I used to be a really good trainer and I'd try and like the training was really my race. I would try and do the best I could every single session and, and push it as hard as I could. And I was speaking to actually Harriet Brown about this on, on the podcast and she said a very similar thing when she was growing up. She would try and she would basically be going hard every session and you don't, you're just basically hitting the, the same sort of level of training every single time. But what she's learned to do now is you know, she might have, I think she does like 12 sessions a week of the the different sports and she has two or three that she's got in mind that she's going to really push it but the rest she's going to actually hold back she's going to let you know some of those other girls that she's training with she doesn't mind if they get ahead because it's not about who wins that training session it's all about if you just follow the process and you stick to those right training zones the end result will be you'll race well and that's that is what you want as the end result it's not about the training session and then same for me that's something that i've had to learn over time and especially now where yeah if i've might be you know, injured or, or tired or haven't haven't had a great great sleep like i'll still try and go to the pool 
and train, but the clock, I'm not worried about that. I know if I just do the distance, do the set, focus on my stroke, that end result will be, I will race well. Yeah, I think too, like also being realistic about the bad days. Like I think sometimes as a, you know, a high performance or an athlete or anyone trying to achieve their goal, like you either rate your good day as a 10 and your bad day as a 1. And I think for me, you know, I've learned to rate, say my bad day is a 7. It probably actually is a 7, but it's easy to say it was a 1. Yeah. So that actually helps me understand, all right, well, why why was it a seven? Was it because I didn't sleep well last night? Is it because of my personal life? Is it because of, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't as focused in training? So how do I get my sevens to an eight? Do you know what I mean? So being a little bit more realistic on your own expectations. Otherwise, you, you rob yourself of joy. My bad days were either a one or a, and my good days were either a 10 and I had no in-between. So it also robbed me a lot of joy. And I didn't actually get to enjoy the process of becoming something in the water and out of the water, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, is there something that you – are you keeping a, a logbook? You're, you're tracking your training. Is there a way that you're able to reflect on on the different sessions? Is there a way that you're sort of doing that manually or it's just something that you think about each time? Um, it's probably more something I think about. I think like I like I said to you before, I probably had like a real perfectionist um, mentality. I was always logging everything I did. I've got logbooks in my room from years and years of swimming. And um, so for me, it was probably me trusting that um, I'm at training to give my all. And my coach, is, my coach now, he writes the sessions and he keeps track of it. Um, and he knows that like, um, that I'm obviously in a, I always show up and give my all. And for me, I don't need a log how I'm going. I just trust that what I'm doing is enough, but that's yeah. what's working for me at the moment. And I think that's, that's good. Like as a, as an athlete, it can be good to just like, if, if you look at a lot of say, I don't know, professional tennis players or whatever it might be, like there's a lot of commitments that can go with the sport, whether it can be like, sponsor events that you need to do media stuff like all of that can be a big distraction from the from the actual training so the more simple you can make it if you can if you just trust the process you you trust what your coach is doing and you can just show up train do your thing then uh then that can make it so much simpler and i think like the uh the uh, conor mcgregor fight uh last week or two weeks ago was uh he he didn't really do any of the media that he had done in the past and he focused just on training and the end result was that he he had a, an amazing fight and it's just getting rid of those distractions and just focusing on the on the most important thing which is is that mm. training so um has it has it been different in the past where you've where you felt like there's been a lot of distractions around your training yeah i think my probably biggest thing was um probably the lies that i was believing to why i was swimming i think like um, you know, I realistically, like I've got, I've got nothing to prove. Um, I always thought I had to prove myself, prove that I was a good person, you know, prove that I was lovable or prove, you know, that kind of stuff. So once I probably detached myself from those things, like swimming, it's pretty hard to get distracted. Um, you know, because I have so much love, like I swim because I love it. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't really feel like work as much for me at the moment because I do love the sport. And um, for me, I'm constantly trying to add value to other people's lives. So, you know, my life 
um, in my swimming as self-centered as swimming can be. I'm trying to have a bit more of a different approach by adding value to people's lives. And it's almost like you're a kid again when you're at the the train um, at training when you're young and you're training and you're dropping time like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> um, you know, like that's kind of my approach with the sport now. And hopefully I can start to bring back that mentality in high-performance sport and hopefully – you know, people can start to actually be fulfilled and satisfied in their own achievements and not be so, you know, disappointed or hurt from their own individual career in high performance. And I've seen you've been speaking to to some different groups just about your story and, and where you're at now. What is it that you like most about doing that? And what do you see yourself doing in the next five, 10 years? What sort of area or what sort of thing do you reckon appeals to you i actually really enjoy swimming um i would like to have a bit more of an impact in high performance culture maybe with the well-being of athletes um a lot of people get missed um in high performance sports so hopefully i can explore a bit of that i also really love teaching swimming so maybe swim schools um i really enjoy and um i guess for me um is sharing hope to our society, you know, um, and also that, you know, sometimes people can live a life way less than what they're actually worth, like their life is worth a lot less than what it actually is. So I think it's about sharing that people's lives matter, um, that there's something inside of people that nobody else can do, and it's also helping add value to other people's dreams and visions that they have for their own lives. So I feel like that that's probably an area that I want to go down as well. Yeah, and I think that's uh, it couldn't come from uh, from a better person. So it's been it's been really enjoyable for me to to be able to see your progress uh, since we first met, and just being able to to film that progress as well. And uh, we're going to catch up in about a month's time as well, and we'll we'll, we'll do some more filming. And uh, I'm just I'm just really excited to to watch you race over the next couple of months as you lead up to olympic trials and uh and just seeing how you go because um last time we caught up you were um like just it looked like a, a different swimmer like you've you've leaned up a lot um obviously been doing a lot of training strokes improving and it's just uh it's just awesome to watch that process play out and uh and having met paul as well uh just a, a really great person and uh and very knowledgeable coach as well so it's myself and probably a lot of the people listening as well will be um, watching with with keen interest because uh, you know I think everyone will be rooting for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Hopefully, we can um, continue to help you know other people achieve their dreams, and maybe we can get back on the podcast again another couple of months. And you know, if any people have questions or whatever, we can um, help answer them and help add value to their swimming and their and their lives. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, and for anyone who uh, is uh, is listening, what's the best place to to follow your your progress, is it Instagram or uh, or Facebook? What's the? I'm actually not on social media at the moment, um, but yeah, I think like um, you know, hopefully I can just be a bit more of an underdog for a while, and you know, yeah. people, you know, um, whether they want to get in touch through email or whatever. But I'm sure if the people want to need to get in touch with me, they can get in touch through you or uh, my email, which is dan.smith.28 at live.com.au and I'll always do my best to reply to everyone. Awesome. Thanks again, mate. I've enjoyed having you on the podcast and I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, brother. I'll just stop the recording.
Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.